teens. Three verses. Luke 6, 17 through 19. And the sermon is titled, The Extraordinary Ministry of Christ. I will start at verse 17. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. This is the word of God. Here's a question that many ask today. What makes a ministry successful? What makes a church successful? What makes a minister successful? Is it the number of supporters and members in a church? Is it determined by whether or not you can bring unchurched people into the church? How about the number of conversions and baptisms? Should we base it off of how much money the ministry has in the bank? If you have a lot of resources, does that mean that God has blessed the faithfulness of the ministry? What if your resources are limited? Does it mean that God is not pleased with the ministry? These questions are ones that people have asked for a long time. It's caused many to create, support, and spread lies and false truths about what makes ministry successful and what makes it unsuccessful. Jesus has a lot to say on the matter, but not only what he says, it's what he did and what he is doing that speaks the loudest. Today we'll look at the success of Jesus' ministry, what he did, what he said, how he moved and why he ministered the way that he did. And I pray that we can learn from him, not only in watching him, but by joining him in the ministry that he continues to do today. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. You've brought us from a mighty long way. Each of us, you brought us here for a reason. It's no coincidence that we are here to hear the word of God, Lord. We are here for a reason and a purpose. And so I ask that you bless this time. May the word be blessed, the words that come out of my mouth and the words that go into their ears. And Lord, may you plant these words into their heart, into our hearts. May the people of God be blessed and may your name be blessed. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, let us begin with verse 17. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. Right away, 
we see that Luke is continuing his gospel without delay, going from the last event that he recorded to the next. In Luke 6, 12 through 16, we unpack the decision that Jesus made in choosing men from a large group of disciples in order that they might follow him more closely. He appointed the 12. He chose 12 men who would be apostles, and to put it simply, they would be with him. They would walk closely with Christ, watching him, assisting him, challenging him, being in his presence, and learning what it truly meant to be a leader in God's kingdom. Heralds of the kingdom is the sermon title that was preached. In verse 17 of today's text, Luke tells us Jesus and the twelve came from came down from the high mountainous area where he officially appointed them and stood on a level place. Now, it might be best to inform you that something major is about to take place. Jesus is about to preach a sermon. And when Jesus preaches a sermon, we would do best to listen to what he says. Amen. Some call it the Sermon on the Plain. This is in comparison with the Sermon on the Mount. Well, here's something to note. In Luke's account, he begins the appointing of the Twelve abruptly with no immediate events happening before. Just look at it in verse, in Luke 6, 1 through 11. Uh, Jesus is getting religious folk upset. They were arguing with him over eating on the Sabbath and healing on the Sabbath, and peep this, Luke 6, 12 says, in those days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray all night. He then called the disciples to himself and chose 12 from among them. Now, if you go to Matthew's gospel, this is the end of Matthew 4, beginning of Matthew 5, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it tells us that after Jesus saw the crowds of people coming, he went up on the mountain, sat down, and his disciples came to him. So what details stand out? Well, both accounts have Jesus going to a mountain and calling his disciples to himself. But Luke's account tells us that before preaching a sermon, he appointed the twelve when he called his disciples to himself. Matthew's account just goes from the mountain to calling the disciples to the Sermon on the Mount. And that's, that's interesting. Let's not forget that Luke mentioned Jesus being on a level place. Well, a level place, when you look at the Greek, it can also mean a high plateau. So Luke tells us Jesus was on a level place or high plateau, and he began teaching a large crowd. This is similar to what Matthew recorded. In, in Luke's account, Jesus even began his sermon by preaching the Beatitudes. Well, after looking at all of these similarities and details when I was studying, I'm split on the debate. <laughs> I don't have money on either side. I understand why some hold that the Sermon on the Plain is actually the Sermon on the Mount, but it's just in a redacted form. Almost like watching a highlight reel versus watching a full game. 
Both are very similar in content, almost too close to not be the same event. But one is a longer sermon than the other. That's what we're about to deal with in the next few weeks. Well, it's either that explanation or another one that makes sense as well. Jesus repeated teachings in his sermons. And I'm good with that too. (laughs) Being a traveling teacher, preacher, it would make sense that Jesus would say something to one crowd and then feel the need to say it to another crowd. Amen? Sometimes it's helpful to repeat good doctrine. Sometimes you got to say something to one crowd and maybe go into depth with another crowd. Sometimes you might say the same thing to one crowd and then say the same thing to another. We live in a time, Jesus lived in a time when there's a lot to unlearn, relearn, and learn in depth. (laughs) What is truth anyway? But back to the text. Notice that there's three parts to the audience here. It says, he came down with them. This is the 12. He had just appointed them to be apostles. Then it says there was a a great crowd of his disciples. This is the larger group of disciples that he chose the 12 from. This is not including the 12. They also considered Jesus to be their rabbi. And then there was a great multitude of people who came to hear him. This is the people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. Many people showed up for several reasons. But let's deal with the first reason, which is they came to hear him. They came to hear Jesus. Jesus was a preacher. He was a teacher. He was the ultimate proclaimer of God's word. In fact, John 1 tells us he is the very word of God. Doesn't it? Jesus only spoke the word of God. Go to John 12 with me. John 12 44 through 50, to be exact. I want you to know just how committed Jesus was to speaking the word of God. These people came to hear Jesus, but what they should have known is that when they hear Jesus, they hear the Father. And I don't know if y'all are hearing me right now. I said, when people hear Jesus... They hear God. When people hear you, do they hear the word of God? Y'all there yet? John 12, 44 through 50. And Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my word and words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. 
For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Jesus was totally committed to sharing, to preaching, to teaching, to explaining, to clarifying, to speaking the word of God to others. In Luke 4.43, we just read what Jesus said to another crowd that tried to keep him tied up to their territory. They wanted Jesus to themselves. But Jesus said, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, because for this very purpose, I have been sent. Jesus was committed to sharing the good news with everyone, saints. And these people, they didn't come to hear words that tickled their ears. They didn't come to Jesus because he made them feel comfortable, because he didn't offend them. Matter of fact, he was very offensive. We see in the scriptures that he pushed away the crowds at times. He dismissed the crowds at times. He walked away. He disappeared. He got ghost on the crowds at times. They were there to hear him, and he was there to speak what God had told him. Now, here's just a few statements that the crowd heard Jesus say, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. <laughs> These are not words that many want to hear. Blessed are the poor, the hungry, those who weep now. Jesus actually looked these people in the eye that were suffering and told them that they were blessed. He said the kingdom of God is given to the poor, to the ones who are hungry and starving. They will be satisfied. The mourners will laugh. Which means what? It means that those who are looking forward to the glory one day, they may have to suffer today. Those who are praying for better days will have to go through some troublesome days. <laughs> yes, yeah, saints, it's true. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be what? Persecuted. Some no, no, no. The scriptures say all. All. Jesus was not preaching a gospel that promises health and wealth, at least not right now. <laughs> the good news says that we'll get all of that later. Amen? Amen. <laughs> we got health and wealth coming to us. 
He didn't promise that they'll be living their best life now. And this is what made Jesus' ministry so great. Because he attracted crowds without compromising truth. He didn't water down the gospel. In fact, he raised the bar on the demand to live holy. He said, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Yet they came to hear him. Why? Because he was faithful in what he spoke? Ask yourself, are the words that come out of your mouth on the regular, on a daily basis, are they faithful to what God has told you to speak to others? Saints, faithfulness to the word of God is what makes a ministry, a church, a servant of God legitimate. Jesus knew this very well, and this brings us to our first point, point number one. The word of Christ authenticated his ministry. Verse 18 tells us the second reason the crowds came to Jesus. Yes, they came to hear him, but verse 18, and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. Now, where could the sermon go at this point? <laughs> the miracles, the signs, the powerful authority Jesus has on display in this text. We've seen this before, and we will continue to see this. In Luke 4, 31 through 41, Jesus healed a man with an unclean demon. In Luke 5, 12 through 26, Jesus cleansed a leper and healed a paralyzed man. In Luke 6, 6 through 11, he healed a man with a withered hand. And even as I'm running through these events, many of us sit here unfazed, as if these aren't wonderful things that he's doing. Yeah, he healed. Yeah, it was a miracle. <laughs> it's funny because we talked about the similarities between this moment and the one that's recorded in Matthew. Well, Matthew's gospel also records what happened around the time that the Sermon on the Mount was preached. Matthew 4.24. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. Jesus healed, did miracles, exercised demons out of people. And where did it say? Matthew says throughout all Syria. Luke records Jesus came from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. In New Testament times, Tyre was the main seaport of the Roman province of Syria. It's not hard to connect the dots, family. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 34. Because Jesus was doing all of this at a time when many false teachers and prophets were claiming to be doing the work of God, but they weren't aligned with the word of God. 
Jesus did both. How about we serve a rabbi who can do both? That can do the work of God while being aligned with the word of God. Ezekiel 34, God promised he would send a shepherd who would do what needed to be done. Let's read verses 1 through 10. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the, God, says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The, lo the lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered. Because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord as I live, declares the Lord God. Surely, because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. Now, don't lose that chapter, because we'll revisit there very soon. But what made Jesus's ministry legit? Because he did the work of God according to the word of God, but not the false shepherds. What did they do? They clothed themselves. They starved the sheep. They slaughtered the sheep. They didn't bring healing to the sheep. They didn't bring health to the sheep. They didn't look for the lost sheep. But what did Jesus say and prove about himself? John 10, 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus clothed the sheep. He fed the sheep. He saved the lives of the sheep. Bringing healing and health and well-being to the sheep. When one single sheep went astray, what did he do? He left the 99 to go and get that one lost sheep. He concerned himself with all of the sheep just as much as he did for one sheep. 
He protected the sheep. He loved the sheep. He laid down his life for the sheep. He was the exact opposite of the false teachers of his day. That's why the crowds came to Jesus, because he was the good shepherd, and they realized it. Jesus was living in a world that was full of shepherds who didn't care for the sheep. They only cared for crowds, the fame, the attention that came with the job. Saints, it's very similar to the time that we're living in. But Jesus didn't care about all of those things. He could care less. He simply wanted to do the work of God according to what? The word of God. And this brings us to our second point today, point number two. The work of Christ authenticated his ministry. Now, verse 19 tells us the last reason that the crowds came to Jesus. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. Now, saints, let's get this straight. In order for someone to touch you, you got to be close to them, amen? <laughs> you got to be within a distance that they can reach you. They wanted to reach Christ because he had, because they had heard that he had the power. They wanted this power. And why? So that they might be healed. Just one touch from Jesus. One touch from Jesus and you could be healed. It sounds almost like an advertisement. <laughs> or an infomercial. <laughs> or a TV broadcast from the TBN channel. Until you realize it's true. It really happened. Just one touch from Jesus. Imagine being there. One person touched. Two persons healed. Three persons delivered. The whole crowd. I think we just go over these verses a little too quickly. Are we in awe when we read of the power, authority, the working of Christ? All the people that were in need of healing, they were healed. Remember what Luke says, a great crowd of his disciples, a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, they came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. That sounds like a good shepherd to me. Would you go back to Ezekiel 34 with me? Because remember, Jesus is the good shepherd. He can show us how we are to take care of his sheep. Amen. Many people think it's about doing what the crowd wants. But Jesus shows us it's more important to give the crowd what they need. Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16, 
For thus says the Lord God, Behold I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. And I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. In this text, God says that he will be the shepherd for his people. He will be the good shepherd that they need. A bad shepherd doesn't allow the sheep to even get close unless it benefits him. <laughs> A good shepherd not only allows the sheep to come close, but he comes close. He is with his sheep, tending to them, taking care of their needs. And listen, I know the scriptures tell the church to take care of their shepherds. But how many of y'all know we sheep can't take care of this shepherd? <laughs> we can praise him. We can lift him up exalt and magnify him, even bless his name. But we cannot give him anything or help him in any way. Why? Because he is the only being that is complete within himself. He lacks nothing. He needs nothing. He has and he is everything that's needed. I don't, I don't know if I'm talking to somebody today. You may feel like you need this or you need that. I could go on and list a bunch of things. But saints, people, all you need is Christ. Yet, Jesus still has the heart of the good shepherd. Jesus is all you need. We cannot give him anything, but he can give us everything. Jesus still has the heart of the good shepherd. He speaks the word of God. He does the work of God, and he has the heart of God. His heart is centered. It's 
focused on God. He shows us the very heart of God. Do you think that everyone that came to hear him to be healed of sickness and their demons, the ones that came to touch him, even everyone that claimed to follow him, do you think they were all truly his people? No. There's always going to be ones that claim to have something that they don't. There's a difference between profession and possession of faith. Yet, he still showed love and compassion. He displays the heart of God towards humanity and especially his people. We see the heart of God explained all throughout scripture. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You, O oh Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion slow to anger, great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Certainly, the faithful love of the Lord hasn't ended. Certainly, God's compassion isn't through. They are renewed every morning. Great is your faithfulness. How many times do we read scriptures of Jesus having compassion on someone, having mercy on someone, being moved to action because of the love that he had for someone, even weeping for and with others. Saints, he laid down his life for us. I ain't never had nobody else lay down their life for me. Jesus' passion for the word of God, his commitment to the work of God, and his love for the people of God. All of that shows us the heart of God. That's why the crowds came to hear him and be healed and to touch him. Because they saw in Jesus the very image of God. That's what made Jesus' ministry legit. That's what successful ministry looks like. Can people see the heart of God? Do the people in our community, do they see the heart of God when we're out there? When we're here every Sunday? Even when we're doing the block party? This brings us to our third and final point today. Point number three, the heart of Christ authenticated his ministry. Now, what else can we learn from Christ concerning the ministry of the gospel? In point one, we saw that the word of Christ authenticated his ministry. The crowds were there to hear him. They came to hear the message. This message is what we find in the word of God. Christ shared the word of God with the people 
and the crowds came. In like manner, when we share the word of God, that's when our ministry will find success. But again, is success found in the number of people showing up? The number of baptisms? Or having a nice coffee area in the back for when they come? Is it found in non-essential theological stances being held by the majority of a church's congregation? Is it found in a worship team that exalts their musical talents more than they do the crucified Christ? No success is found in ministry when the word of God is being rightly handled. When our Theology leads to doxology. It's successful when the saints are edified, but ultimately it must lead to God being glorified. Are we concerned with what is true and what is noble? Are we concerned with what is right and pure and lovely and admirable? If we are not preaching the things that are excellent in the sight of God or praiseworthy among the saints, then we're not doing ministry the right way. If we are too afraid to tell someone the truth because we might offend them, if we only care about telling someone the truth but don't actually care for their soul, if we are too concerned with pleasing people or pleasing ourselves, then we're not doing ministry with the heart of Christ. What we say, what we speak, teach, preach, share with others, saints, it matters. Let it be from God and never from man. We learned in the second point that the work of Christ authenticated his ministry. How many of you know that ministry is more than what you say? Christ teaches us that successful ministry is happening when your work matches your word. If we say we are doing the work of God then it must be in agreement with the word of God. Does it surprise you that so many false miracles and signs and wonders are happening in places where the word of God is not being rightly handled? Does it surprise you that the same preachers claiming to cast out demons are the same ones that are preaching doctrines of demons? The authority and the power that we possess is to pray for others in the name of Jesus and trust in Jesus to do the work. We pray and lay hands on the sick, believing that God can and he will heal them. But ultimately, it is up to the Lord. We can preach against devilish teachings and pray for someone to come to salvation. 
But ultimately, it is up to the Lord. Listen. How many of you know that the satanic realm has no power over us? How many of you know that demons cannot possess a believer? Why? Because we have the spirit of Christ dwelling in us. And darkness cannot remain in the place that light enters into. Let it not be that people are coming to Christ alone because we cast out demons in Jesus' name. Let it be because we are telling them about Jesus who can set them free from the power of demons. That is, after all, what the word of God tells us, doesn't it? Let your work for God be led by the word of God. In the third point, we learned that the heart of Christ authenticated his ministry. True ministry is much more than words. It's also much more than serving others. It comes down to your heart. Are your motives right? Are you operating with the heart of Christ? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Are you doing ministry with that type of heart? Are we doing church with that type of heart? Does it surprise you that entire communities are passed over by the churches that speak as if they hold to the very word of God? Does it surprise you that many people who preach all about the love of God do not actually possess the love of God? Jesus said it best. The harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Many Christians know the word of God, but fail to share it with others. And even have the nerve to get angry at Christians who are sharing the word of God faithfully. <laughs> are you speaking the word of God? 
Many Christians have the means to help others that are in need, but find all kinds of excuses not to. They even get mad at others for failing to do what they refuse to do. Are you doing the work of God? Many Christians love the gospel. They love that Christ came near to us, that we might be close to him. We love that message, don't we? But when it comes to being close to others, to bearing with others' flaws and weaknesses, when it's time to get your hands dirty, when it's time to lay down your life for the sake of others, many are nowhere to be found. They'll look to others and even recruit others to do the work that they refuse to do. They even mask it with the excuse of being too busy or not being qualified. But in all truth, they do not have the heart of Christ. Saints, we have no excuse. The good shepherd showed us the way leading by example. Look at what we, look at today's text. He laid down his life for us, opening our eyes to the truth. He even gave us his holy spirit, which gives us the power, the grace to live like Christ. Through his spirit, he has given us true life and the heart of God. And each one of us have a mission field that we've been called to. Everyone's mission field is not going to look like the others. My mission field is not going to look like yours. Yours ain't going to look like the person next to you or in the back of the church. But each one of us have a mission field that we've been called to. Each one of us have people we can show the love of Christ to. Amen? Are you doing it? And to those that are doing it, know this. You don't have to do miracles because you are the miracle that God has done. God did and continues to do what is impossible for man to do. You don't have to do the miraculous. God does it for us. But are you doing the work of God with the right motives? Are you doing it to see, be seen by others and to be praised? Or are you doing it out of humble and meek servanthood? If you are, then that's the miracle all by itself. That a person like you, who was once an enemy of God and a lover of darkness, is now a servant, a friend, a child of God, in fighting against the kingdom of darkness. I pray that we are. Because Christ showed us what true successful ministry looks like. He had an extraordinary ministry. 
but it was by faithfully doing ordinary things of God. Christ has an extraordinary ministry. We, the church, are his extraordinary ministry. And he's accomplished everything by his word, his work, and by the love of his heart. I pray that we imitate him and do the same for others. For our goodness and to the glory of God. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for everything that you've done. All that you've shown us. All that you opened our eyes to. You are the truth. You are the loving good shepherd. And so we praise you. We thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. And we ask that you empower us to apply the word that was spoken today. For our goodness and for your glory. 